You're listening to the Healthy by Nature podcast. I'm Jordan Semina. And I'm Lexi Strew. Join us for conversations about all facets of health and wellness to nourish the mind, body, and soul. This week, we are welcoming Dr. Kate Hadfield on the podcast. Dr. Kate is a naturopathic doctor here in Calgary, uh, practicing at Vive Integrative Health. She has over 10 years of experience and has furthered her education to include certifications in lactation education, birthing doula, holistic pelvic care, and level two pelvic floor physiotherapy. She believes in empowering women to create the healthcare team they want and encouraging them to be their own best health advocate. Welcome, Dr. Kate. Well, thank you for having me. We've been looking forward to this conversation for a while as our podcast is kind of trending into this theme of personal empowerment and bringing um, power back to us as individuals. And I think that's something that's really prevalent in your practice. And yeah, so this is perfect. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, we'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and what led you into naturopathic medicine and then the mm. niche of women's health. Sure. So uh, when I was an undergrad, um, I got pretty sick and uh, pretty burned out <laughs> looking back on it now. And when I went to the, the clinic at, at school, they did a bunch of blood work and they were basically like, oh, you're stressed. Come back after finals. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's not very helpful to me in this moment. And I had a friend um, who had seen naturopaths growing up and she was like, hey, like maybe this is a thing. And I was like, sure, I'll, tr I'll try it because I feel so terrible right now. <laughs> like I'll, I'll do what I need to do. And clearly it completely changed the, the course of my life. Um, we identified a bunch of foods that I needed to cut out and it just radically changed everything. Um, so I think I was about 19 when I started seeing an ND. Um, so yeah, it completely altered my trajectory. You're an OG. <laughs> I think, yeah. 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 So I mean, I've been seeing one for a long time. Um, and then I wanted to go into midwifery um, after undergrad, but it's quite a difficult process getting in in Canada and mm -hmm. I couldn't get in. Um, and so I had this unexpected year off from between undergrad and whatever was going to come next. And so I really kind of reevaluated what I wanted to do. And I decided that I wanted to go to naturopathic medicine instead. Um, and that was great. That was a total gift because that was the year I met my husband as well. Oh, so wow. I'm really glad I didn't get in <laughs> at that time. Um, and then, yeah, and then I ended up going to, to CCNM in Toronto instead. So. Yeah. Very cool. Wow. Mm. I think that's so, um, it's such a common theme Like people find naturopathic medicine when they're desperate. Yeah. Totally. Um, so hopefully that's changing because there's so much wisdom in the system. And I really, like you said, it really empowers people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And utilizing it as yeah. prevention before we get to that desperate, super yeah. sick stage. Like Ideally. action. Yeah. I would still say that the majority of my patients um, are coming in with, with the boo-boo, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're still pretty much the boo-boo fixer. Yeah. Um, and I would say like maybe 10% of them are coming in preventatively. Right. So it's still a big cultural yeah. shift mm -hmm. that we need to try. Um, but, but a lot of them are just getting really um, poor messaging from their mainstream care providers. <laughs> and so we catch them so late because they've been getting the same thing told to them over and over again. And they just don't know mm -hmm. that there are alternatives out there and high quality alternatives. Mm -hmm. Too. yes that's, that's the other thing yeah so. science backed evidence-based yeah yeah so the, the the waters can be pretty muddy you know if you start searching on pinterest for health <laughs> advice so, which we've maybe. all done but but maybe not the highest quality <laughs> out there so yeah so how did you decide to specialize your practice in women's health and 
what led you to that mm. and what does your practice look like now? Yeah. So like originally I was really interested in midwifery. So that type of midwifery model has always really appealed to me. And so to, to go back even further, um, I think, I think I've always had the heart of a midwife. So when I was in grade one, I think it was my mom, you know, told me where babies came from and, and all of this. And it was very, you know, I was very informed. And so the next day I went to school and at recess, I announced to everyone that the quote, men provide the sperm and women do the rest of the work. <laughs> so, I don't think I was wrong, but you know, the teacher called my mom. She's like, well, you know, I think it's great. You're telling her this, but you know, so, so I think I've always kind of had this bent <laughs> to my perspective. Um, and so I knew when I was going to be a naturopath, I'd focus in women's health in yeah. some way. Originally I was really focused on perinatal health. Um, it's a lot of pregnancy, uh, postpartum, like I'm a certified doula as well. So I've attended births um, mm -hmm. in a supportive capacity. So, and it's still a big part of my practice, mm -hmm. perinatal health. Um, but then I started getting more into this concept of holistic pelvic care. And mm -hmm. so really focusing on the pelvic bowl itself and trying to really help women understand that these things are all connected. You know, we think about like bladder health, vaginal health, menstrual health, urine health, and even digestion is this like very separate thing. Mm -hmm. And if you look anatomically, they're all really good buddies. Like they're all super close together super close. in there. <laughs> And they are really like, they all depend on each other too. Like they're really intricately connected. Um, so we need to look at the pelvic bowl as a whole system um, and trying to convey that you know, when, when we're talking about health and whatnot too. I think that's really key as well. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so this type of care that you provide, the holistic pelvic care, it's it's kind of like a separate type of education or program in itself. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I was in fourth year of naturopathic med school, I attended um, a women's health conference online um, that was hosted out of Portland and their, um, their first speaker that they had, uh, her name was Tammy Kent and she's a physical therapist in Portland who has created this framework called holistic pelvic care. So she does pelvic floor physio with this mental, emotional, energetic approach to it. And I, leading up to that conference, like I was kind of looking for something like that. I was having some pelvic symptoms that I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. Um, and I was like, I just knew that there was something more out there. I just had no idea what. And so when she started speaking, I was like, oh my God, this person <laughs> exists. Like I knew you were out there somewhere. And it was just amazing. So I immediately hopped onto her website and was like, when can I come take your course? So, so I, I went down to Portland, when was that? Fall of 2014, I think it was, and did the, the hands-on training. So holistic pelvic care is internal vaginal work. So it's very much like pelvic floor physio, um, except it looks at everything from this mental emotional perspective. Okay. So yeah, so different areas of the pelvic bowl can be associated with different emotions, different experiences. Um, intergenerational trauma comes up a lot while we're doing internal work. Um, and so like one of the things that Tammy uh, talked about was that, you know, she's doing like regular public floor physio at a, you know, outpatient hospital or something. And then women would start kind of like randomly crying while they released tension. She's like, you know, okay, like, see you next yeah, week. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know why. Yeah. And it's very common. Like I know a lot of public floor physios in the city and they'll talk about like, oh yeah, like that can happen. It's okay. It's totally normal. And it's true, but there's no container for it. Like 
there's no framework to understand like what could this be connected to mm-hmm. and that's what holistic public care brings to the table so it's that understanding as to the energetics of the bowl and what these different types of tension patterns can be connected with then you're also able to offer support um, through those emotional releases mm-hmm. yeah so i think i think it's important like i refer out to public yeah. physios all the time yeah. because mm-hmm. they bring a really different set of skills. Um, and I just did my level two pelvic floor physio training. Um, so that was really brilliant just to make sure that kind of my hands-on skills were yeah. short up <laughs> as much as they it could be. Um, but that, that next piece is really important. So I'll give, I'll give a good patient example. Um, I had a patient who had a really traumatic breastfeeding experience and it hadn't gone well. And when we were doing internal work, um, she was about a year postpartum. And when I felt inside her pelvic floor, I was like, this does not feel like a 12 month postpartum bowl. Like this to me is like a six week postpartum bowl. Like it felt so raw mm-hmm. and so new because like it changes, right? Mm-hmm. So there's di- like the tissues feel different and everything's really different. And so we started going through that experience of um, the breastfeeding trauma and the grief and disappointment associated with it. And so then the next time I saw her, it was like different pelvic bowl. It was like, this is what it should feel like. It had completely shifted. It was really cool. Interesting. And it's just Mm -hmm. that mental, emotional piece that I arguably precedes the physical in almost in a majority of yeah I don't think you can separate them like I've never been to a birth where like the mental emotional doesn't come into play at some point in the process like you cannot extricate the two you know you can only go as far as someone is comfortable and that's totally fine I respect that boundary and so Mm -hmm. if they only want to um you know approach it from a pure MSK like release tension do the exercises perspective Mm -hmm. that's fine Mm -hmm. right but I think that that will only bring you so far with right. healing, right? So could you tell us a little bit more about what an empowered PAP appointment mm. would look like? Yeah, so I came up with the, the concept of empowered PAPs a, a few years ago. So as a naturopathic doctor, we can do PAP exams. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always thought PAPs were really fun to do yeah. as a provider. <laughs> like I just really think they're fun. Yeah. And it's such a great opportunity to learn about not only the pelvic floor, but vaginal health and especially cervical health, right? Like a PAP doesn't just have to be this like in and out grin and bear it experience like this is not an opportunity (laughs) to connect and learn about this area of your body right um so I wanted to do them differently and just felt like this was a an opportunity to provide a really good service um to our community so what I do that's a little bit different is that we have time so it's not a 15 minute oh that's everything (laughs) down to your socks Get under the piece of paper. I hate the piece of paper. We use drapes. Be freezing cold the whole time. Yeah, yeah. No, so um, it's either 30 or 45 minutes depending on if they're a patient of mine or not. Um, and so we chat for a while first, like, get, to know, get to know each other for a bit. You know, I talk a little bit about like, we do the intake and kind of see what their menstrual history is, what's their sexual history, any type of pelvic concerns, because that's all relevant to yeah. a path exam. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we take the opportunity to talk about cervical health. So I go through like, you know, what are the you know top five things that you can do for your cervix? Um, because that's a really big area that women aren't even aware of. They, they don't believe you can do things well, like, exactly <laughs> like like we really the messaging in mainstream medicine has really been like you have to do a pap and that's like it that's like all you have um influence over like in terms of cervical health there is like nothing further you can do for your cervix and that's just wrong it's just like 
unequivocally wrong. And so this is an opportunity to educate about like, what is the cervix? Like most women don't actually know. And then what can you do to help your cervix? So we have that conversation um, at the start of the visit because it's just such a prime opportunity to do that. And then we talk about their past um, pap experiences. Most of the time, um, women who come for for paps for me, they've had really negative experiences. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about that first because I want to know that before Mm -hmm. doing the pap. And so one thing that I offer is, you know, I would say that the most anxiety inducing thing about paps is the speculum insertion because it's obviously not the most most comfortable experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if they want to be in charge of inserting the spec, that's fine. I don't need to be in charge of it. Mm-hmm. I can just be their guiding angles. Mm-hmm. But you know, if that's something they want to do, that's wow. fine. That's no, that's no issue. Speculums come in different sizes. We can look at the different sizes together and figure out which one they're most comfortable with. You know, and if one it doesn't work, if it's maybe not big enough, as long as they know that and understand that we might have to go up to a certain size, that's fine. It's no big deal. Yeah. We can game that. What, and then another thing I offer is, you know, do you want to see your cervix? right we're there yeah. <laughs> you know like this is, a dif- this is a difficult thing to, to see on your own if you don't have the right equipment and so uh everyone's got a camera phone yeah. um and so if they want to see their cervix once I find it we take a picture and then it's on their phone I don't have anything to do with it and they get to see it too okay. right so so it's another thing to offer and then I always send someone home with a little sample bag of some pelvic tea a nice little mm-hmm. herbal blend in there just as like this nourishing thing after after a pap exam um and I think people get so excited about the cervix picture like we've had so many people come up to reception afterwards yeah. and be like look at my <laughs> cervix this is the cool or, or I get a message and they say like I went out to the coffee with my girlfriends afterwards and we're like look at my cervix <laughs> oh, so interesting so I was diagnosed with high grade cervical dysplasia when I was 24 and um as you're saying this like I don't even know what the function of a cervix is exactly I was a patient at Kulposcopy clinic for five years and then discharged had two paps a year and now um through my own work with like diet and things I've been able to like keep a keep keep it clear what what is a service? <laughs> what is a function? Exactly. And why why do we why need to like check on it? Why did this happen? What is dysplasia? Right. I have why didn't I have a doctor tell me this? <laughs> well, exactly. And like this is this floors me the amount of like the lack of information yeah. that we have. So the more I'm posting about this on my Instagram account, I have received messages from women literally all over the world asking questions that like. We, we should all just know like I've received I've heard from someone from Jakarta in Indonesia I got a message from someone in East Mississippi and in the UK and I'm like how are they finding me in yeah. Calgary like this is ridiculous and how do none of us in the whole world yeah. know right especially someone that was in that type of care for five yeah. years like yes it's it's quiet. Yeah. Yeah. you go in fill out the form sit in the cold room nurse takes you in doctor does his thing you leave we'll see you next year exactly. like we'll yeah. tell we'll send you a letter in three weeks if there's something abnormal yeah. but not any talk through the procedure what's going on and this is the exact common experience that i see from the vast majority of women who have gone through leaps um who, or who are coming to me for an alternative to leaps is that they've been given this diagnosis they have absolutely no idea what it means and no one has ever explained it to them um you know the, the messaging with the colposcopy clinics it's it's so bad i had a, a patient once um who really didn't understand what her diagnosis was 
they had thrown around the term hysterectomy with her, but she didn't get what was happening. And I was like, okay, well, let's requisition all of your records here so we can understand, right? Like we need to set that as the baseline. And, and basically she had had um, like the, the top level you can have before being diagnosed with cervical cancer. And she had no idea. And I had to deliver that diagnosis to her um, because they hadn't done it properly. You know, no one had told her her diagnosis. So it's it's quite shocking. Um, and it's a really, really poorly served area mm-hmm. of women's health. So going back to your question, what is the cervix? Which is <laughs> so a yeah, totally basic and good question to ask. So the cervix is actually part of your uterus, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the external portion. So it's that bottom part of your uterus that protrudes into um, the vagina itself, into the vaginal canal. So when you see your cervix, it's actually part of your uterus. It's just the entry point. Um, so that's what it is. The cervix is so fascinating. It can change positions based on where you are in your cycle. Obviously it dilates to 10 centimeters during birth. Um, and it contains immune tissue as well. And I think this is one of the biggest keys that we're lacking in the cervical dysplasia conversation is that, you know, like, why do you get diagnosed with H cell or L cell? Well, it's because you have an HPV infection right? You've been infected with this virus, which is incredibly common. Mm-hmm. Everyone meets this virus at some point in their life. If that's not the issue. Um, and the longer the virus persists in your system, it creates the abnormal cells, mm-hmm. right? And so really the goal with cervical dysplasia is to get rid of the infection. Mm-hmm. And that comes back down to HPV, mm-hmm. right? So that's the key conversation that most women are not getting mm-hmm. from the from like leap clinics and colposcopy clinics things like that they're just they're not talking about the infection piece so really like everyone gets infected with hpv if you are sexually active like you will meet this bugger You're at some movie. point right <laughs> like when we were in med school what we were taught was that you have a higher likelihood of cervical dysplasia and hpv infection if you have a high number of sexual partners but i actually asked one conference that i went to like what does the research define as a high oh, number of yeah. sexual partners because the research defines everything and i'm like this like a fairly subjective thing like what would you consider high (laughs) right so I asked and at that time I don't know if it's changed the definition was higher than three I'm like okay so (laughs) that's low all right maybe for some (laughs) yeah and so really like if you were sexually active you're going to get HPV like Mm -hmm. it's going to happen so that's that's not where we should be placing the emphasis if um, once you get HPV, it should clear your system within about two years, typically, like you should be able to clear that infection within about two years. If you're not, that's the issue. So you have an immune system. Exactly. There's a deficiency. There's, in your there's something, there's something going on with your immune system. We know that it persists longer in people who are active smokers, um, who have, you know, uh, insufficient levels of folate, um, things like that. If they have other immune dysfunctions. Sometimes it, it just it kind of depends um, if there's excessive estrogen. So I've seen it persist a lot in um, people who are on um, oral hormonal contraception. Mm. Sometimes that can be the barrier to the infection clearing. It can depend on a lot of things. So like a lot of the terrain needs to be mm-hmm. looked at here. And that's just not a conversation in mainstream medicine when it comes to cervical dysplasia. No, it's so. a conversation of fear and yep. don't do this. You're the bad person instead of like yep. education. Here's how how you can tackle this or yeah. what you can do to help yourself. Exactly. And so there's the lack of education. So you go have a pap test, it comes back as abnormal. Typically the diagnosis is not explained to you because it's a it's a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like L-cell, which is the, the low grade mm-hmm. lesions. And then there's H-cell, right? Underneath that there's SIN 1, 2, 3. So CIN, SIN 1, 2, 3. Then there's AIS, which is like 
cervical cancer in situ when it hasn't actually invaded the tissues yet, and then there's cervical cancer. So there's all of these different levels of it, right? And they don't go through that with you. It, you know, they kind of make that decision on your behalf, like, oh, you have H cell, you should go do a leap, or oh, you have L cell, just sit back, do nothing for six months. It's like, well, this is an opportunity to engage and educate about what this is. Mm -hmm. And like, if you like sitting back and doing nothing for six months or two years, waiting it for clear, isn't it's like, it's a viable option. The research supports doing that, mm -hmm. but why not do more? Mm -hmm. Why couldn't we then take this opportunity to learn more yeah. about our health? Wow. Mm -hmm. Or in my experience, I just was told, this is what you have. You're coming in for a leak <laughs> next week. Yeah, I didn't even know that there was options. Right. I was terrified and just, just went in there. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. The lack of informed consent is, is striking. Mm -hmm. It's really quite striking. Um, and, and the act of like discouraging of questions too, yeah. I would say. And I think this is probably why I'm so interested in it because it's very similar to birth, right? Like yeah. this type of over-medicalization mm -hmm. of birth and not doing proper informed consent and you know women not understanding these procedures and the system not terribly being interested in having them understand mm -hmm. these procedures either. It's very similar to what's going on with cervical health. This is so important. So, <laughs> this is so important. Mm -hmm. And as you talk about informed consent, I didn't even realize that 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 wasn't happening. Yeah. No. Well, sure. Because yeah. it's just the way the system is. And well, if your provider doesn't value it, you're not gonna know. No. Because how, how yeah. could you know? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, because they're presenting it as this is your only option. It's very fear-based. Like a lot of my patients have been told, you have to do this, um, you have to have a hysterectomy. Like that's, that's how it's presented is like, you have to have this. And it's like, well, let's slow down. <laughs> like, let's take a break here guys and really understand what's, what's going, going on. on. Maybe that is the best option. It could be, right. but let's make sure that the patient understands what's going on first before leaping to let's cut out an organ. How do you take the collection and find the results? Hmm. And next question being, if someone gets this diagnosis, hmm. What do you do to treat it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to go through a private lab yeah. um, because we're NDs. Okay. So it's the exact same thing. Okay. You know, it's speculum, it's a broom. Goes in a little so you collect thing. the cells. I collect the cells, it goes into a vial, we send it to the lab, okay. they send me back the, the results. That's okay. it, it's very boring. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then if you find something, yeah. what are the next steps for treatment? Yeah, so so that, that would depend on what comes back, right? Okay. So if it comes back as H cell, right? So with that high grade lesion, yeah. I would still recommend that a patient goes to a colposcopy clinic for the diagnostic aspect of okay. it, right? So colposcopies and leaps are different things. Okay. And this is another piece I think gets lost. Like a colposcopy is basically like this epic microscope that they can zoom in and look at the particular areas mm -hmm. on a cervix of okay. dysplasia. So these really like, you know, abnormal cells, yes. these lesions. Yeah, so like they're going in there and looking at them and they may or may not take biopsies. Okay. Now that's really valuable information because we wanna be really sure that um, we know exactly where things are at because then that's gonna better inform you to make the proper decision okay. about how you want your healthcare to proceed, mm -hmm. right? So, so the value of colposcopy is great. So if I got a result back saying like, this is H cell and then I'd be like, okay, you should go and <laughs> go to the colposcopy clinic to confirm this. Um, now, depending on what comes back, like then they, they will likely present a leap as an option. And then we talk about it. Like, is that the right decision for you? And if that is, 
that's fine. You should be empowered to make that decision. Um, I would also do lots of complementary treatments to help clear the HPV infection. I mean, that's okay. the big thing. Yeah. So we want to look at like, are there things we need to take away, such as smoking, potentially hormonal birth control, but not always. Are there other types of dietary habits or lifestyle factors that we need? You know, and then we want to look at things to include. So, you know, do we need to um, support your immune system more? Is there hormonal balancing that we need to do? Those types of things. Is there a microbiome issue, right? Like there's lots of research that supports the vaginal microbiome is off if it allows uh, HPV infection to persist, right? So that's another really key piece to look at there. Um, so we would look at all of that. If someone has received um, like an HCL diagnosis and they are informed about it and they don't want to proceed with yeah. a leap, then that's where we have the conversation around escharotic okay. treatments. And so that's the topical treatment um, that I offer that is an alternative to a LEAP procedure um, because it specifically targets the abnormal cells on the cervix and does not target the healthy cells. Mm -hmm. And you're one of two doctors in the province? To my knowledge, yeah. I, I, I think right. there might be a second one in Calgary, but I don't know if she's actively offering okay. it at this time. Um, but yeah, to my knowledge, I'm only one of two in the province that is that is offering this. That's so it's really a little exciting. more common. Yeah, it's a little more common in the States um, and a little more common in the lower mainland in BC, of course, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as most <laughs> things are, but it's still not super common. There, it's, it's pushing the envelope a little bit. And yeah. so it makes a lot of people uncomfortable to offer it, but I think it's a really viable option. I do, what I've seen though, is that women are really interested in alternatives to leaps and that they will actively pursue it as well. Like, again, I've received messages from women all over the world wanting to know more about these options. Um, and I've had women come to see me because they just found out that I was offering it. And, you know, they were fully prepared to travel to BC on like a weekly basis to get this done. So I, I think there's a ton of interest there and that women are very committed yeah. if this is something they want to do. Something else I think that's so special about it is you're really getting to the root of what's mm -hmm. causing it, whereas in the other system, they're like, we're just going to remove it, Yeah. Um, but really you have no control over if it comes back yeah. or clearing the viral infection yeah. from your body. Yeah, well, your recovery. Right? Exactly. They just don't look at it from this infection perspective, right? Like they, obviously they know that HPV causes yeah. it. Like that's, that's not a big, a big light bulb moment for them, but they just don't think that you can do anything about it. Um, and you know, it's, it's just that immune system piece, which is just a really foreign conversation. I, I still find amongst mainstream medical doctors. So, you know, their solution is to cut it out. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, if you did a hysterectomy, you would remove the dysplasia because mm -hmm. you removed the cervix. Like, that's true. Yeah. But the poor pelvic bowl. Right. And, <laughs> and missing a buddy. <laughs> and what I find is that once you're done having kids, the uterus is really regarded as an accessory organ, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, is it causing you problems? We'll just get rid of it. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, maybe it has other functions other than just gestation. Yeah. It has other functions. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yes. Right. Like maybe it's kind of important <laughs> to keep it in there, but this is not how it's viewed. Right. Like it, it's really an accessory organ. Just I a find. baby maker. Just, just a baby maker. That's it. It's causing you grief. Yeah. Get rid of it. Like you don't need it in there. And it's like, okay, you know, maybe that's the best choice for you, depending on what the health yeah, condition is. Yeah. 
<laughs> maybe we could approach it but, from a little more empowered positive yeah, way <laughs> and understand what the implications of this are yeah. and have like patient-centered care where a patient decides if this is right for them exactly yeah, yeah. and i think yeah. i would never dissuade anyone yeah. from having a leap like if they came in and they're like i'm gonna do a leap when i want the complimentary care absolutely like let's, let's do yeah. it mm -hmm. i'm not against leaps like that's not it there i'm really thankful <laughs> yeah. we have them in fact yeah i just want to make sure that it's the right choice mm -hmm. yes you know? like that's the decision distinction there you know I'm not trying to do away with it um it's complementary care I don't look at it as alternative totally right That's so, so it's, well it's a big a big distinction between it so I just really want um women to understand that this is an area of health that they have influence over mm -hmm. and that they can impact mm -hmm. it really isn't a matter of like oh just sit back and do nothing like there are things that you can do and manage to have a healthy cervix like okay. this is something we all have access to 100 mm -hmm. yeah and do you find when women start to address their health in that area then other areas of health change or improve or oh, sure how do you see that mental emotional piece come into play so one one of the thoughts with um persistent cervical dysplasia too is that it can really be associated to boundary violations mm -hmm. and shame and so shame, like we really store in our pelvic bowls, yeah. right? We have a lot of shame about our bodies as women, you know, from a really young age. Um, and uh, this isn't an area that we talk about really freely and openly or positively for that mm -hmm. matter. So that's something that can come up um, and then boundary violations. And so when I say that, most women think like, oh, you're talking about assaults of some kind. And like, obviously that can be true, but it really can be like, any type of boundary that's been mm -hmm. violated and we should never dismiss like a medical procedure that's violated the boundary right mm -hmm. there can be a lot of trauma with medical procedures mm -hmm. and we will store that mm -hmm. in our pelvic floor in our pelvic bowl right mm -hmm. so from the more mental emotional picture like that can come up while doing cervical work and i feel like our emotions they're energy mm -hmm. and if you don't clear them they will manifest as injury or illness somewhere yeah in somewhere down the line yeah mm -hmm. Hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so that's why I see like emotions come up so much when I'm doing holistic pelvic care. So like doing that inter like vaginal massage, essentially, mm -hmm. like emotions come up all the time um, just because that's where they get stored. Yeah. Right. So it's really common to see that. And so that can also happen with the cervical dysplasia picture. Right. Because it's all interconnected. So if women have not uh, what I don't know what is recommended for people that haven't had um, every, two every two years two. Uh, three three oh, so three. it used okay. to be annually and now um if you have normal paps and you've never had an issue they recommend every three years okay so mm -hmm. just good to just get a checkup yep. how often yep. would you recommend so if you've never had an issue with it before then i'm, I'm happy to go with the guidelines of, mm -hmm. of every three for most women that's perfectly reasonable um i also think that it's your body and if you want to check then why not check yeah right like we can have a discussion as to you know do you need to check more frequently than that probably not but maybe this is causing um a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. you know maybe a friend of yours just got diagnosed and now you're kind of freaking out about it and you want to look at it it's like well okay why not <laughs> what would you say to someone who has never had a pap 
Mm. And it's um, because I do have a few friends who are very afraid yeah. to get them, never mm-hmm. got them, know they need to. Totally. What would you? What well, let's you let's validate that. Yeah. Like a PAP is not a fun experience, <laughs> right? Like yeah. when when we were learning how to do PAPs and um, like prostate exams, which is a rectal exam in school, oh. I was definitely nervous. Like the first time I had to learn how to do one, and my my like TA, who's a great ND, he could tell that I was really nervous. He's like don't worry. It's just like looking in an ear. And I looked at him and I was like, Dr. Vu, it's so not like looking in an ear. So like, no, like let's acknowledge it. Like what I always say is that this is a sensitive exam. It should never be invasive, right? There's a really big distinction here. This is, this should never feel like an invasive exam. That's a problem. Sure. Of course you're feeling nervous. Like that's fair. That's totally fair. But then trying to figure out, well, what, what's causing the most anxiety, right? Like, is it because you had a previously bad experience or, you know, was there an assault in the past? Like that comes up a lot. Like anyone who has a PAP exam, we should be talking, we should asking them about trauma mm-hmm. because yeah. it's, it could come up like this, this is relevant. Right. Um, so I would just talk to them, like, what are you having the most anxiety about? And I would say most of the time it's about the actual speculum insertion, right? Like that's what they're most freaked out about. Cause it is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't use lube when we do a speculum um, exam because it can distort the sample. So like, that's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, lube is a good thing (laughs) when it comes to vaginas um, and we can't use it. So, you know, we can always use water. And so not all physicians will do that, but like you should at a minimum be using water and doing a speculum exam. So, so I'd be talking to them about that. Like, what are you feeling the most anxiety about? How can we try to gain that? Let's try to make this um, as comfortable as possible right Mm -hmm. and so you know we can do different positions you don't have to be lying on your back if that feels like really vulnerable to you you can be sitting up it'll change the Mm -hmm. position of where the cervix is so depending on what your anatomy is it might make it more difficult to reach but I don't know like as long as you're open to trying it then let's try Mm -hmm. it's fine right so yeah very patient-centered yeah. it should be yeah it totally should be right and it does I can yeah. just feel the empowerment even in this conversation yeah, it's like yes too. this is something I want to do and another really cool tidbit of info is that there are some countries that are actually moving away from PAP exams entirely and they're strictly doing HPV testing what is that like? yeah so that is a collection you can do on your own, right? And so you can order an HPV test in the States that's at home. You can swab yourself, you send it off, and then they let you know if you have HPV and then if you have the oncogenic strains of HPV. So the strains that are more likely to cause um, cervical cancer. And you can do all of that in the privacy of your bathroom, right? In Canada, we do not have access to these at-home collection kits. Um, Australia is moving away from PAP exams entirely and are strictly doing HPV testing. So it's incredible. So a lot of times the quality of your cervical health care just depends on geography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. which you should not no, it should not. has nothing to do with health it's yeah. strictly geography yes and yeah. also i think that if women are empowered to do this on their own it's less intimidating mm-hmm. they're more likely to do it exactly and yeah. it also takes some strain off the system 
Yeah, and yeah. in in a country that's so big as yeah. ours and has so many rural yeah. people, mm-hmm. you exactly. know, at home HPV testing is actually a brilliant idea. I know that they were trialing it in some areas of BC um, to have it done that way because there's just a lack of primary care providers who can do it. Um, but you know, it's obviously not available on on mass yet. So I hope that that's yeah. coming down yeah. the pipeline. Um, but it also just goes to show how important the connection with HPV actually is. Right. If like countries are actually evaluating the evidence and saying we don't actually need the PAP part, we need to test for HPV. Because mm-hmm. those two things are really different in terms of what they're evaluating, mm-hmm. right? So like that's that's huge. Yeah. So very mm-hmm. strong, not even cor- further than correlation. Yeah, I mean it's it's as causal as you yeah. can get in the literature, <laughs> which you can't actually ever say, but right. uh, yeah, it's really strong. Um so it's that's a big piece of it. Yeah. Hopefully we catch up. (laughs) (laughs) So what does a healthy cervix look like versus Mm -hmm. one that would you, is it infected? Is that what you say? So you'd say there's dysplasia. Okay. You would just, this visible dysplasia. So sometimes you can see the dysplasia without um, doing a colposcopy and sometimes you may not be able to. So I've actually seen lesions on a cervix before. Um, They're just visible, right? Like sometimes you'll be able to see them on the face of the cervix, which is pretty incredible Mm -hmm. that we can visualize and other times you can't. Okay. So that's what the the lab yeah, so, so the colposcopy is important, right? Yeah. Like we want to make sure that you're making decisions with the most accurate information yes. available to you. Like that's a really important part yeah. of the step there. Um, so a healthy cervix should, you know, there shouldn't be a lot of blood. Sometimes there can be, um, but sometimes that's normal. Um, ideally no lesions. The amount of cervical fluid will change depending on where you are in your cycle. So keep that in mind, right? So I don't like the term discharge because discharge implies illness, mm-hmm. right? So if there's bacterial vaginosis or a yeast infection, like that's discharge, mm-hmm. but I don't like saying cervical discharge, okay. right? Because that like cervical fluid is mm-hmm. normal, right? You have a lot of that egg white fluid around mid cycle ovulation, mm-hmm. the, the good stuff. So, so, you know, you might see that if you're looking at your cervix and be like, oh my God, like I'm freaking out. Like, what is, what is this? Like, what is all of this stuff that I'm seeing? And so, you know, it's good to know that like that might be fine right depending on what it is um what else like you would definitely not want to see um any signs of candida infection or other signs of infection like if there was different types of discharge like different colors like greens or yellows mm-hmm. and stuff like that could be a sign that the microbiome is off um it shouldn't have a bad odor mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. as well that could be another sign um yeah i would generally like a pink healthy cervix okay that's what we like to see are there any other physical signs elsewhere in the body or other symptoms that you tell ladies to watch for? For cervical dysplasia? Yeah, or anything going on? Yeah, and, and that's the tricky thing. There, there often Not aren't. Much, um, yeah. yeah, so I mean, you could tell if the microbiome is off generally speaking, but not all the time. Mm -hmm. So if there's a change in discharge, right? So if all of a sudden, you know, you're seeing a lot of like yellow or green or like that chunky white discharge, Mm -hmm. it's really indicative of yeast infections. If there's a really strong odor all of a sudden, I mean, that would say that the microbiome is off, Mm -hmm. whether or not that has to do with the cervix, it may or may not, right? Right. Um, But that's, that is why it's important to test either for HPV Mm -hmm. or PAPS is that like, that's still our best way of doing it mm-hmm. you know I don't think that paps are great mm-hmm. but at this point it's the best thing that we have 
Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to make your decisions on the yeah. best available information yeah. at the time. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I think cervical health really reflects your total health. Oh, of course. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because it can be connected with your hormones. Yeah. One thing, your immune system, yeah. um, your digestion can play a role in terms of the quality of your diet as well. Your microbiome, like all of these things are, are connected yeah. to it. Mm -hmm. Were you talking about pregnancy before? I thought oh, I had yeah. Question about um, everyone I know is pregnant. Sure. Um, so like, do you see a lot of pregnant patients mm -hmm. Like, what does a protocol look like? Um, when someone finds out they're pregnant and comes to see you for support like throughout their yeah. pregnancy journey. So I, I love working with, with pregnancy because like it's just such a big passion of mine too. I'm so passionate about like informed choice when it comes to pregnancy care um, and you know natural birth and things like that. Yeah. So so really it's just talking about like well you know Casey you're pregnant so like what does your health look like? right now. Um, I actually just attended this really interesting naturopathic pregnancy care intensive over the weekend that argues that we should be doing more visits in the first 20 weeks as opposed to what the current prenatal model is. So what, what's currently done in both midwifery yeah. and um, physician practices is that you're pregnant. They may or may, may not see you like from that kind of eight week to 12 week mark. And it just kind of depends on what their practice is. But then you have more frequent appointments the closer you get to term. Um, um, and there's a lot of research that suggests that we should also be seeing you really frequently in those first 20 weeks, because that's where we have the most um, impact. So when you look at like vitamin D status, iron status, especially all of these like really key markers, this is when we can impact you the most. And so if we're supplementing D or iron or things after 20 weeks, we're really not shifting the needle and very much. Isn't that when... The majority of miscarriages occur as well like early in pregnancy. yeah it, pretty early on and so we want to look at like placental development yeah. that's really key and that's when it's going on at the start and we want to make sure that that is as healthy as possible and there's really not a lot we can do for the health of the placenta after that time um and so much of the late-term stuff that comes up like um like hypertension, so or preeclampsia, you know, high blood pressure, things like that are related to the health of the placenta, which is those first few months right. there. Um, so that's the impact um, that we could have. So this intensive was talking about like, maybe we need to shift our, our prenatal programs and see them way more frequently early on too. So I thought that was really fascinating. Very interesting. Um, yeah, really, really interesting to look at that. And so that's where as like a naturopath, we can really come in, um, you know, so like, what's your vitamin D status? Well, you can't get that checked in the mainstream medicine anymore, right? Because I think it was getting too expensive <laughs> for the system. And that's why they're like, oh, like, so at least in Alberta, um, they won't uh, run it for you unless you have a couple of key conditions. Um, but as an ND, you know, you just have to pay out of pocket, but yeah. then we can check your vitamin D levels, no problem. And it's a fairly inexpensive test. Like I think it's 50 bucks. Okay, like right. it's really not a crazy expensive Worth test. It. Yeah. yeah. And, and it is important to check because we want to see what your levels are. And we want to see that the impact of our supplement is actually like moving it. Right. Yeah. Some people have a genetic variant where, you know, we could be dosing them at 10,000 IUs every day, vitamin D, and they just don't absorb it. And so it's good to know that from that person. And then we move to something like injections with vitamin D because the impact on the fetus is huge. Um, so the, like what I can bring to the table is like, you know, maybe your healthcare provider doesn't want to order these tests for you, or you want to know more about what's going on with your blood work. Well, we can do that. Like I have no issue 
doing that, that's easy. Um, you know, we can talk more about diet and nutrition and what that looks like for you as well. Um, you know, understanding what's your baseline metabolic health, right? Like, were you kind of insulin resistant coming into the pregnancy? Is that going to be a concern? How can we best support that? That's another thing too. And I find a lot of patients don't understand the importance of prepping your body for pregnancy. Mm -hmm. They'll come and say, I'm ovulating. I'd like to get pregnant. And we're like, oh no, we need like three to six months. Ideally, for that ideal egg development. And so I feel like there's a lack of education in that area mm. too. You don't just pull the goalie. And <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my youngest is testament to that. <laughs> You know, but yeah, and, and it happens. And so yeah. there's a lot of debate over, over whether we should just be making huge recommendations that like anyone who could possibly conceive is always on folic acid or folate, yeah. right? And you can kind of debate whether we want to view everyone as like a walking uterus, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but I mean, there's so much to be said for preconception health, yeah. but that's a really tough population. Like I will get the odd person coming in who's like, uber aware and like wants mm -hmm. to address stuff prenatally most of the time it's retroactive it's yeah right? support once it's yeah. exactly but if we could so. educate on how it affects a quantity and quality yeah. and follicle count and just your chances of pregnancy and your experience mm -hmm. with morning sickness back like it's yeah. it's crazy how much it could impact yeah like like preconception in those first 20 weeks is really yeah. where you have the maximal impact right. um and it has like lifelong impacts yeah. on on the baby as well so that would be the ideal but not not always possible no. <laughs> so you know but uh but yeah so like I love working with the pregnancy population because a lot of like it's a great way to have those conversations early too so you know like talking about you know what are your plans for breastfeeding like have you thought about birth or postpartum doulas like let's try to set up these structures for you now as opposed to trying to calling them in when things are hitting the fan right so mm -hmm. so yeah. it's it's a process like you have your preconception mm -hmm. your pregnancy birth mm -hmm. which is a full experience a and bit. then um <laughs> the most part of mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah and I, I love working with um like perinatal mood disorders too so like postpartum depression yeah. postpartum anxiety because there can be so many other reasons why that's going on that is overlooked from the mainstream right it's kind of so. just an accepted side effect of <laughs> yeah and, and you know like why there could be something going on with her thyroid mm -hmm. right like we don't do um routine thyroid screening mm -hmm. uh, as we should at six weeks postpartum and you know postpartum thyroiditis is super common mm -hmm. i've caught it in clinic before too mm -hmm. and that can easily mask as postpartum anxiety mm -hmm. or depression or like what's her ferritin? Like what's the iron status? Like, well, if you had a lot, if you had terrible iron status during the pregnancy for one thing, and then maybe you had more bleeding, you could have super low iron. And even if you look at that from like a blood deficiency perspective totally, in TCM, yeah. like those symptoms almost line up yeah. with postpartum depression, right? Well, like mm -hmm. we should check that yeah. <laughs> on blood, like this is an easy blood test. So, you know, those types of things. Um, and then, you know, post like the pelvic floor, right? That in France is a routine part of their six week postpartum checkup. Everyone gets their pelvic floor checked at six weeks. We don't, we don't yeah, here. I've, I've never heard of any 
was part of mama getting it checked, I don't think. Not, not part of the system. Yeah. I think I think most women now are aware that totally. they have a pelvic yeah. floor, which is good. Yeah. Like we're, we're improving <laughs> overall. Baby steps. And, yeah, and so they know like they probably should go at some point in that postpartum year. So it's like, okay, this is better from when like I was a child, yeah. um, but it still hasn't just become routine mm -hmm. and it should. Yeah, or yeah. the women I know that have seen public floor physios, mm -hmm. it's because they've had a problem. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They go yeah. to fix something, mm -hmm. exactly. not just as part of their care. Yeah. And, and you can go during pregnancy, right? And I would encourage women to set up a good relationship with the pelvic floor physio during pregnancy, and they can do work internally during that time as well. So mm -hmm. trying to decrease any areas of tension before a birth and, you know, improving any type of strength that's possible. I mean, that's always the ideal before you do a vaginal or cesarean birth, because mm -hmm. you're just going to improve the outcomes afterwards, right? So pregnancy is a good time to go see pelvic floor as well. Thank you so much. This has been fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I, if I had to say I had one takeaway, I would just really try to remember that there is so much medicine in our bodies. Yeah. Yes. Right? And it's really just about tapping into it mm -hmm. and accessing it. And mm -hmm. empowerment's a big way to yes. get there. Yeah. So how can people find you? So I'm, I'm on Instagram. And so my, my handle is at your pelvic ND. Um, so that's probably the best way to find me. I am practicing at uh, Vive Health in Calgary. Um, we can do a lot of virtual consults now since COVID. So if you're in Alberta, I can see anyone virtually at this point too, which is great. Thank you so much, okay. Dr. Katie. Thank Thanks you. For Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to connect with us online. Happy healing. <laughs>